Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. I've been looking forward to having our next guest on. He's been on the show before. John Papadakis uh, played his football at USC. He uh, was a defensive standout at USC. He uh, also is the father of Petros Papadakis, who's been on this show numerous times, uh, Fox broadcaster, FS1. Uh, John Papadakis also has reinvented himself as a Tony Bennett-style crooner, singer. Uh, joining us now, former USC football player, John Papadakis, who has been kind and patient enough to uh, bear with us today. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the air. We're having fun. I've got good guests on today's show and, uh, the PAC 12 schedules out, you know, life is pretty good over here. And, uh, how about you, man? Are you still singing? Are you touring? All of it. I read all your stuff and, you know, you... You make everything interesting. I love Thank the you. stories that you draw from your family and experiences you've had as a kid because we've all had those that made us fall in love with sports. And yours, you know, illuminates your take on things and uh, and properly shares your, you know, the, the heart that you have in it. Well, you, you're very Italian, that. man. You're very Italian. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I am very Italian. Let me ask why you. you uh, I, why do you think I try to imitate those Italian singers? They can sing. <laughs> let, hey, let me ask you, John. Like you talk about the love for sport. Where did it come from, you? And you know, uh, what about your dad? Did your dad play sports? Did did he? Uh, you know, was oh, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. He, <clears throat> my father loved playing sports. He was the youngest of eight, and his father was quite powerful in the town. He was a he is a bootlegger here, one of the main ones on in the, uh, you know, the L.A. area. He did business with Al Capone, believe it or not, you know, because they shipped the liquor around, and, and we're here in a port. And uh, he didn't want any of his kids playing football or athletics. He's a Greek immigrant, a real rough guy, because, uh, you know, you can't make any money playing football, at least not then. And my father wanted to play so badly because he loved the game. And uh, the San Pedro High School football team, you know, that's an old school. And it was in the old Marine League. And the uh, the old man built a, a home about a block from Daniels Field, which is right in the heart of San Pedro, the old part of it. <laughs> they had a loudspeaker. And he could hear, you know, the, uh, the, the loudspeaker from his home. And he finally let his son play, and they could say, Papadakis made a touchdown, Papadakis did this, Papadakis did that. And the old man came down from the house and climbed up into the press box and told, told the guy, you're not pronouncing my name properly. <laughs> he threatened them. So <laughs> the, the, the public announcer had to speak Greek to get by. I love that. Uh, you know, John, it, you, your kid, Petros, it's got to be fun for you to watch him 
uh, call games, but what did it mean to you to see him in a USC uniform after you had played you there? To see both. Yeah. You know, his, his brother Tasso preceded him, and had yeah. there not been any Tasso, there wouldn't be any Petro because Tasso went through hell to play. You know, he... He was one of the two freshmen, he and Sammy Knight, when um, during um, the first year of Coach Robinson's second term there, you know, as head coach, John Robinson. Yeah. And uh, he was recruited, and he was in his first recruiting class of his new tenure. And he and Sammy Knight made the varsity right off, and Tasso, they played at fullback and linebacker. He was actually designated to be a two-way guy. And unfortunately, every year he got a season-ending injury, which required a major surgery, and every year he'd come back and fight and win his position just to, you know, have. He had four major surgeries in four years. He set a record, I guess. Anyway, he finally had to back off the game. And uh, Petro, you know, came behind him and said, I'm not going out that way. And he had that catastrophic foot injury. I think he had a, a, about nine operations, almost lost his foot. And, um, you know, still wrote it out and shined his senior year, led the team in touchdowns, was captain of the team, etc. Wasn't a great winning team, but it was a USC football team, very talented, and, you know, he fought his way to the top of that and stayed there. So Tasso, you know, paved the road and Petro ran down it. Some, something about athletics that the Greeks, you know, adore, having invented the Olympics and everything. The Greeks believe that athletics is just is a virtuous pursuit. It's pure, just like art and architecture and drama, you know, music, <clears throat> all the arts, because it's a revelation of human character. It reveals human character, you know, when you participate in sports. And anything that revealed human character, the Greeks thought of as being artistic and virtuous. So... I could go on about it, you know, about the virtue of sports. But, yes, I think there's something uncontrollably, uncontrollably wonderful about it that draws us all into its very, uh, its very center. You have a deep history and connection to USC. As you say that, and you talk about sort of the virtue of sport, I can't help but think about USC and UCLA leaving for the Big Ten Conference. How did that strike you? Not well. Not well at all. You know, there's so many times we've watched USC Cal, USC Stanford, you know, USC Beavers, Oregon State Beavers, who beat an O.J. Simpson team. They only lost that year. A national champion, they beat three to nothing in the mud and the rain. Earthquake injured, Steve Priest. Anyway, you know, how can they, I think, let me give you this scenario. USC was really down right at the end of the century, really down. And here comes Pete Carroll, right? And everybody said, Pete who? Same way they said John McKay. When John McKay was hired in 1960, they said, John who? You know, Pete came from another place. John came from Oregon. John was my coach. Pete was the guy I did all the recruiting for, but that's, that's another story. Um, so he comes in, and he, you know, it's the dawn of a new era. He starts to win. He doesn't lose. 
He develops a joyous pattern of winning. The university's coffers fill. The endowment triples. They get an ambitious president along with it who sees the opportunity, and everybody loves sports. And, you know, they're still living on his afterburners, on the flames of what he created there and what he accomplished. And I saw that turn around in just three or four years. The Pac-12, you know, they say everyone excuses it off because it's a money deal. Well, I think the Pac-12 in the long run could be a lot more valuable than the Big Ten, media-wise too. But they just have to set their sails right. I guess it suffered because of bad leadership. And everybody they caught them when they were down and just drove themselves down further by losing their two, you know, premium partners, the Southern California boys. But I think it's a hasty mistake to to abandon something that has such deep roots. And um, football is all about roots. You know, it's interesting, John. I see some of these old movies made in the late 40s and early 50s about football, especially about university football and stuff. And, you know, I see them on these odd channels on my phone. And it hasn't changed that much. You know, it hasn't changed that much. So I, I think that we get fooled that, it, that change itself is, or the appearance of change is healthy. We put it under the, you know, the, the uh, heading of progress or what's new or what's woke, so to speak. And um, it's possibly not better. And the promise is, of course, that it's more lucrative. But sometimes, you know, everybody goes back to Brill Cream. And I think the Pac-12 will go back to Brill Cream and that SC and UCLA will someday return to it. I hope you're right. I, and David Shaw, the the uh, outgoing Stanford coach, he said just that. He thinks that geography ultimately wins out. Uh, John Papadakis is our guest, former USC football player. Uh, you were there. Sam Bam Cunningham comes through the doors at USC in 1969. You and Sam have authored a book uh, that is a fantastic story, Turning of the Tide, How One Game Changed the South, USC Playing Alabama. Um, take us through what that was like in Sam Cunningham and sort of watching. Why the story was yeah. created in the first place. You know, the game was by and large forgotten, hardly even an issue in the respective uh, uh, media guides of the two schools that participated. Not thought of as a great conclusive event. And um, Sam Cunningham's always been friendly to me, but. Uh, with some trepidation because we fought a lot at USC. I was promised to, that I could play fullback, and I could have played fullback. I had the speed and the, the ability. But they recruited him as well, and he came in a year after me, and they said, he's going to be our fullback. You're going to be our middle linebacker. <laughs> so I said, well, what do I have to do to play fullback? You know. The cheerleaders don't want to date guys who make tackles. They want the guy who makes a touchdown. <laughs> in those years, fullbacks carried the ball 10, 15 times a game, at SC anyway. And um, they said, well, you have to break his neck. So I tried. And I couldn't. You know, I tried, <laughs> but I couldn't. He, he, he was tough, too. And um, he credited me for being the toughest guy ever he ever faced. I read a paper in the late 90s. And that just surprised the hell out of me. 
You know, but deeply I appreciated it because Sam was always a fair person. And he was an honest person. God rest his soul for being so honest. You know, it wasn't like a lot of players to give each other credit, let alone, you know, they were too busy seeking it for themselves. So I, uh, I remembered that game we played, and then I wrote the story. It's a story called Turning of the Tide, about a 20-page story, and I was trying to get a movie made of it and couldn't get it done. So instead I cold-called a, a literary agent in New York named Ian Kleinert, and he took the call by <laughs> some quirk of fate, and, uh, you know, like a movie itself, just getting the book accepted, or the book idea accepted. And I told him the story. I pumped it to him, and he um, said, you have it written down? I said, sure. So I faxed it to him right away. He called me right back and said, who, who do you want to do it? And I said, Bill Plasky, because Bill, you know, can weave a good yarn. But at the time, Bill was uh, – I tried him. At the time, Bill was um, – writing a book about Lasorda and didn't want, didn't, didn't want to do it. So uh, he reached out to an uh, author he had in his stable named um, Don Yeager, who is an award-winning you know, writer of sports books. And we collaborated on that book together. We brought Sam in and made him an equal partner on the project. And um, we all contributed. And it became that book, which uh, did very well and went into three or four printings, and now we've optioned it for a movie with Village Roadshow Entertainment Group, a man named Steve Moscow who heads that uh, entertainment group, uh, got very interested in the book. And so we're working with producers and writers now to, uh, to create the story. Give me an idea. You know, you go back to that game. You had... You know, Governor Wallace in Alabama in 1963, he makes that stand at the schoolhouse. You had, um, you know, Birmingham, tough place, uh, and really a lot of turmoil in the 60s. You guys are right. coming in there as USC. What was that like to go in there and oh, play we a game? Protected. We were protected. Everywhere we went, there were plainclothesmen, and they were, you know, officers everywhere. Uh Uniformed and ununiformed. I mean, our motorcade, we always had a motorcade, but the motorcade was presidential in its in its scope. You know, there was even a fake motorcade going another way just to draw people away from it. But, you know, the prevailing attitude about the South at that time was characterized in a movie called Easy Rider. Easy Rider was the top independent, independently made film of those years, 69-70. And it became iconic. And it was about two Westerners, you know, guy motorcycle hippie type guys, who take a trip all the way across America and go to the Deep South. And in the Deep South, they get killed because they don't conform. They're different, and they won't conform to the mores and ways of that area, and they get shot right off their bikes. And then that's the end of the movie. Well, that's, people, that's the impression people had. So there was much fear amongst, you know, the players on our team and concern about going down south. One player was from Birmingham and had experienced the bombings in the church and as a child, Clarence Davis, the great tailback. 
And he was great with the Raiders, too, helped them win a Super Bowl, as I recall. But, um, and there were, you know, the black players just, uh, no matter where they were born, by the color of their skin, they were, had to be very concerned. Sam Cunningham was from the integrated, peaceful, coastal, patrician town of Santa Barbara. You know, and, and he didn't have any, he grew up with racially mixed neighborhood, and he didn't have any idea about discrimination or those injustices in the South, and he asked his father how he should act. And his father was a laconic kind of guy. <laughs> he said, just don't be saying, don't do or say anything stupid. You know, just keep to yourself. And Sam just stayed in the room. Unlike others who, who went out a little bit, but they went out in packs and watched each other's back. We went to a movie. Check this out, John. We went to a movie. Uh, I think it was a Clint Eastwood movie. A Mule for Sister Sarah, something like that. Friday night movie before the game. And when we walked into this neighborhood theater, and it was an upscale, you know, neighborhood, let's say upper middle class, the people who were sharing the uh, auditorium with us were astounded to see black people come into the theater. And one by one they started leaving and making comments. And by the time the movie was over, we were the only people in the theater. And that theater was full on a Friday night. That's crazy. And, and just, I, I can't imagine sort of the the tension that was there. Um, you guys wrote the book. How was the book received when it came out first, the you know, right away? Went up to number 30, I think it was, on Amazon, I remember you know, hearing that it was selling well, and it was well accepted, and, you know, people were after us from the beginning. We were, uh, we were involved with a, another producer for a number of years who uh, just, you know, couldn't put the production together, but uh, he was very close many times, and he, and he was a very accomplished producer. He was head of Paramount and um, head of Universal at one time, so we've been with some quality people. When I first wrote the story, and it became a book proposal before the book was produced, Jonathan Wells at Warner Brothers called me. And he's an ex-USC guy, and he was, you know, big producer at that time on top with ER and a bunch of, bunch of credits. And he was in the number one office in Warner Brothers, and I remember going there with Sam Cunningham and Mark Huska, who helped me create the story. And... Um, you know, he said, this is a $70 million production. We're going to get right on it and do it. And do you have an agent? We didn't have an agent at the time. I said, <laughs> no, but I'll have one by the end of the day. And I did. And, you know, and unfortunately, a, a fellow teammate had taken my story and put his name on it and uh, falsely written himself into the story. He wasn't even there at, uh, in Alabama. I won't tell you who it is. not important. Fact is, is that it convoluted the rights and took a while to straighten that out. A lot of people act like experts about this um, production, but it wasn't much talk until our story, Turning the Tide, came out and the book came out. John John Papadakis is our guest. Uh, After, uh, I guess, your career in football, you end up many years later uh, owning and operating a restaurant and becoming a fixture, uh, you know, greeting people and 
singing and uh, give us like what got you into the restaurant business and then the well, the it was high the good Lord. yeah it was it was the good Lord my wife and I you know I met a girl at USC who really they say Helen of Troy was the face that launched a thousand ships right yeah well this woman she 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 launched my heart up into the moon and um, we were married right right after I got out of school, and we were 22 when we were married. We were married in London. We went to Greece for a honeymoon. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of a talkative guy and excitable, and I love people, and I love, you know, excitement. The excitement of being around people just is astounding to me, you know, much like Petro and the rest of the family. I'm Greek, and so people would say, John, you're too loud, you're too noisy, you always make a scene, you like yourself too much, you like other people way too much. Hell, I went to Greece when I was 22 years old. I saw there were 9 million people like me. I was normal. So I came back and opened up a Greek restaurant so I could be that guy, you know, and make a living at it. And I'm happy I did because I made three or four times what the number one picks would have made, and I was <laughs> offered pro contracts. You know, I was offered the uh, a number of teams, and I said, don't draft me, don't waste a pick. And they still offered me contracts, but I wasn't interested in playing professional football. I was interested in owning my own business. I'd worked for my father in retail businesses. You know, he had liquor stores and storefronts and things like that. And I'd worked there since I was old enough to look over a counter. And I learned how to keep a store, you know, to open it up at 6 a.m. and to work until the evening count all the money and put it away and lock the safe and watch your back and, you know, all that. And uh, it paid off because I wasn't afraid to open my own store. But I wanted to have a restaurant where I could share my Greek culture because I thought it was great being Greek, you know. And, and I was, uh, we were brought up with that theme, much like that movie, The Big Fat Greek Wedding. That was yeah. my family. I love that. Uh, John Papadakis, uh you have performed. You've got music on Apple Music. You have sang. You have sung songs on this show. I have your CD. Uh, <laughs> do you want to? I I'd be remiss if if I didn't have you sing a little something oh. as we go to commercial break. I hear Com music when I look at you. Uh, that's the first song on my new CD. It's called uh, "The Song Is You." Oh, what a song that is! Oscar Hammerstein, Jerome Kern. Anyway, listen, performing in front of people singing is a dream come true. It really is. And, you know, my family got me into it because my youngest son, Demetrius, who was a great football player, played br briefly at UCLA. He got into a terrible car accident and broke some bones and did, didn't continue after that. But um, he was, uh, uh, you know, he, he wanted to join the choir about seven, eight years ago. And I had uh, closed and sold the restaurant. So I said, sure, let's join. And I, in the choir, I heard my voice open up, you know, and, and I could, no note was beyond me. In the meantime, I've been going to jazz clubs all my life. The first date with my wife was at a place called Shelley's Manhole, Shelley Man, uh, in, on Coinga in Hollywood. Saw a Hungarian guitarist named Gabor Zabol who I was friendly with because I got to know all the jazz artists, was going in those clubs since I was 15. I, I never went to rock concerts. I was always loved the intimacy and the, the kind of a direct, 
you know, charge you'd get out of the jazz club, and you'd be so close to the musicians, and they were so passionate and rhythmic and melodic, you know, that it drove me nuts. I loved it. So it was natural for me to start singing jazz. It was my dream. I started collaborating and writing songs, which you'll find on every album I've done. Each There's two or three or four, you know, original songs on each album. And it's a, it's a dream come true to perform and, sh and share that part of yourself with people. In the restaurant, you can do so much. You know, you can feed them and you can get intimate with them like that and, and, and be good to them. And um, it's so much more uh, singing because you're, you're, you're exposing something inside of you. You're, sh you're sharing your, your feelings about what you're expressing through the lyrics. John Papadakis, hey, I love bringing you on the show. I want uh, Next time you perform, I told Petros we're going to get tickets. Anna and I are going to come check it out. Uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing and stay in touch. I appreciate you, and, and I love getting notes from you as well. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me on today, John. God be with you and yours. Same to you. There's John Papadakis, former USC football player. If you're looking for the book, and I've got people who are tweeting at me, asking me about the book, or messaging me, asking me about the book, um, I want you to check it out. It It's about Sam Cunningham, but it's really about the turning of the tide and the tension in the South in Birmingham in 1969-1970 and the impact that USC in a football game played there had uh, on the Alabama program and people in Birmingham. Leave it here. We interrupt this podcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.